0: Rest you, uh, do you want to grab a Bible and turn to John chapter 20, John chapter 20. Gospel of John chapter 20. Before we get into um, what I'm going to teach you, I want to give you a 12 steps update. In the last week, beginning um, of 2014, our first meeting back, I, I outlined the 12 steps as a church we wanted to do this year uh, to help us kind of grow as a church into all that God has called us to. If you missed them or don't know what I'm talking about, please grab our sermons online, go on to our website. Have, Have a, a list to get up, up to date, date with what is going on. But one, one of the things is, um, I I was shared about is our continuation of our prayer meeting. This card should be on your chair uh, chairs or somewhere around about. Please grab it. Our first one of 2014 is this Wednesday, 15th of January. Life we will not be meeting this week. Cancel there that so everyone can come together and pray. Um, details are on the card. We're meeting at the URC Church in town. Um, 8 o'clock, come together, we're going to pray. We want to pray into a lot of things we shared as part of the 12 Steps um, for 2014. So um, please come ready for that. The second um, thing from our 12 Steps that we um, talked about was beginning a sermon series, which is going to pretty much last the year, on the Gospel of John, which I am going to begin today. So already in, we're looking to meet two of our 12 Steps. So that's why I've asked you to turn to John's Gospel. This series, hopefully... Probably won't, it'll probably go just over a year, but we want to go through the entire of John's Gospel this year, and um, I want us to take an opportunity in the church to study this Gospel, study this book. We want to get into it. We're going to preach through every single verse of the Gospel, so we will cover it all. Uh, we're going to do it here on a Sunday through the sermons. Myself and some other other guys are going to be preaching through it all. Uh, we're going to look at it in our life groups. We're going to have some questions that are going to kind of come out weekly when the life groups are meeting to try and earth some of the the things that we've been learning about, things we've been looking at. I hope in your own time uh, that you will get into this Gospel. You'll take time to read it, look at it, think about it. As the series goes on, I'll recommend some resources, some books that you can look, read alongside it, hopefully broaden your understanding of John's Gospels. I hope that you will have opportunity to discuss it one another with friends, actually think about what you've done, learn and grow as we grow as disciples of Jesus, that we'll take some of the principles, earth it in our life, talk to one another and say, hey, how is this affecting our life, challenge one another with it, and over the year we will grow together. So hopefully by the end of 2014 we will say we've had a really thorough look at John's Gospel and we've learnt lots about it and we've grown as a church, we've grown as individuals in what we're doing. So what I want to do today is an introduction to the Gospel, I want to talk a little bit about the author. John, the disciple of Jesus, and a little bit of information about the gospel, and we'll go through that, Um, and then I want to look at why John wrote this gospel um, in his own words and sort of talk about that. So, beginning, about John. You've probably all heard of John, if you know anything about him, disciple of Jesus. He is considered uh, the youngest of the 12 disciples. He was probably in around his mid-20s when the events of the Gospels took place, all the, stuff, all the stories we know about Jesus, all the things we read in the Gospels, John was there, he was one of the disciples, but he was probably around in his mid-twenties, he was one of the younger ones of the group, he would have looked up at Jesus probably as a big brother, and they, Jesus probably would have looked down at him as a little brother, a kid brother of the, of the group of disciples, they were very close friends, the two of them. Now, when Jesus called his disciples uh, to follow him, <coughs> John would have been one of them. The way they did it back then is the way it's a different in a mindset in the way we do it now. When we want to learn from a teacher or we want to learn something, we go to a place, we go to a school, we go to a university. Many of the famous places of learning around this, this nation and many other nations are denoted by where they are, the place they are. We have famous universities in Oxford and Cambridge, and famous schools in places like Eton. Okay, it's it's named after the place where they are. And that's what it's all about. Um, And so you go to a place and you learn. Back in the time of John, and the time of Jesus, if you wanted to learn, you never went to a place, you went to a teacher. You would go and follow a particular teacher. And so if you wanted to learn from someone, learn from a rabbi, you would go and find that rabbi. You wouldn't necessarily go to a school, you would go to wherever they were. And if they moved around, you moved around with them. And so John was someone who follow Jesus around and learn from him. And this, was, this meant great commitment because you had to be willing to go to wherever they were and if they moved, you went, you, um, you went with them. It would mean living with them and spending a lot of time together. If you reflect back on your learning, if you went to, to school or college or university or postgraduate training, you wouldn't actually spend that much time with your particular teacher, lecturer, professor... Because you'd go to the lectures, the tutor groups, whatever it was, the lessons, and you'd have an hour, two hours with them, and then you would go away. The, time, the way they did it back then was actually you'd literally go and live alongside them. So it was intensely personal, interactive. You wouldn't just observe them as they taught a lesson to you. You'd observe them as they were doing the mundane things of life, as they were eating their dinner, and they were going around and just doing all the bits that you don't see. You would live life together. And so that's what it was like. And John was one of the first people Disciples called by Jesus. He was a fisherman. He was working with his brother James for their father in the business, along with two other brothers, Peter and Andrew. And Jesus was walking along the shore one day. We we see reading the um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And Jesus says, "Come, follow me." It was kind of simple as that. He's kind of he's called to them. Leave what you're doing. Leave your nets. Leave your boats come and follow me. So, an ordinary day for them, finishing work, cleaning up the boats after they've been out fishing, usually at night, and this teacher comes along and says, you, come follow me. And John did that. Now, for John to do that would have been a big deal. He would have left behind his job, financial security, the business he was part of with his brother, working for his dad, so he, he left that behind. He probably left behind the opportunity to get married. Think about it, because he he would have no money to put down as a dowry to marry anyone, because he's leaving behind his kind of finances, his security behind. So, what he's giving up isn't just a job, it's something wider, something bigger. And he chooses to follow Jesus. He chooses to go after him, one of the many people who followed him at the beginning. There were multitudes, it says in the Gospel, who got it. Now, when a teacher in that time became extremely popular and lots of people came to hear hear him and and learn from him, what he would do is he would often pare down his class, make it smaller and invest in a small number of people. And Jesus did that. We read about it that he prayed all night and he chose twelve to be with him. He chose 12 guys who would come with him and be his kind of inner circle. There are lots of people who came and listened to me, multitudes, multitudes, but Jesus said, I want a small group that I can invest in. And he would have gone along and prayed like that, he would have picked them. He'd have told them out of all the people who were around, and John was one of them. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you've played sports, games, and they've had to pick teams. You know, and and the two captains come up and they pick obviously the best, the quickest, the brightest, the strongest players. Have you ever had the experience where you're one of the last ones? (laughs) You think, dear God, just don't let me be the last one. If I'm second to last, that's okay. I just don't want to be the last guy, Larry, no mates, at the end, who's the last pick for the team. And I don't know if John went through this thing when Jesus was saying, I'm picking this group to come with me. We don't know where he was. Now, what order Jesus did it in? Jesus said, John, I want you to come and be one of my close followers, one of my disciples, one of the guys who walks with me, who who kind of lives with me, who eats with me, who sees everything I do, who learns from me. So John, as a young man, kind of youngest of the group, got picked into that, to come along and learn from Jesus himself. We read later in the uh, Gospel accounts, the story in Mark 10, where John and James, the two brothers, took Jesus aside and basically said to him, Lord, when you come kind of in glory and you're sitting on your throne, we want to sit either side of you. We want to have slightly smaller thrones, but thrones nonetheless. One at your right hand, one at your left hand. These denote positions of power and responsibility. They recognise, Jesus, you're the king, you're in charge, but we want to be right there underneath you on thrones of our own in power and authority. Interestingly, they're part of the disciples, the 12 disciples. They didn't want 12 thrones. They only wanted two, one for each of them. I don't know what the other 10 guys were like... Peter and Andrew like, excuse me, we're here too. Do we not get thrones either? They chose them. So there was a certain amount of precociousness in John, part of, I guess, part of his youth, but actually kind of wanting that sort of power and authority. In Mark 3, as a, as a sign of affection, he nicknamed James and his brother John. He called them the sons of thunder. Not quite sure sort of what the implications of that are, but we can hazard a guess. These guys are probably kind of loud, strong, um, boisterous, guys to be nicknamed Sons of Thunder. And if you give someone a nickname, the odds are you like them. I give people nicknames. I've given some of you guys nicknames. I don't often say them to your faces, but in my head, they're all there. <laughs> but actually, if you have an affection for someone, my wife, my kids, they've all got nicknames that I call them out of that love and affection. And Jesus' name, James and John, he gave me, I think, they're the kind of only ones who got this kind of a nickname from Jesus. Couldn't the sons of thunder. So obviously, Jesus had a deep affection for these two brothers. Um, so Jesus had the, the crowds that followed him. He had his 12 who he particularly wanted to invest in. But actually, if we read the Gospels, he picked three from the 12 who would be his kind of real inner, inner circle, the ones he would particularly take time with and share with him. And John was one of them. It says Peter, James, and John were those three. Out of the twelve, out of the multitudes, Jesus chose to invest them. And those guys got to see things that the other twelve and the multitudes didn't get to see. One of those events was the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus went up the mountain, he took Peter and James and John with him, read about it in Luke 9, and it says that Jesus kind of became bright, his clothes shone, like with the glory of God, like the sun. And it says, And Moses and Elijah... Of the law and the prophets appeared with him on the mountain, and it was a would have been an incredible sight. We read about it, and the only people who were there were Peter, James, and John, along with Jesus. So, John got to see some of the stuff that very few people on earth got to see as part of it. He was part of that inner circle, and on that mountain where um, Jesus was kind of revealed in his glory, and Peter, James, and John were there, John effectively, you could say, his commission, got his job description, because the voice of God the Father came down, said this is my son, and right at the end he says, listen to him. Listen to him. So that would, John would have taken that on board. Listen to him. Take on board what this one is saying. And I bet when John was writing this gospel many years later, that would have kind of reverberated into, what did Jesus say? What did I hear from him? I've been spent all those years listening to him, taking it on board. And John walked with Jesus, lived with Jesus, and he would have seen it all. All the stories we read about, he'd have been there. The things like the feeding of the 5,000. He'd have eaten that food. He'd have been part of that group. He'd have watched that miracle happen. All the healings, the healings of the blind and healings of the deaf, he would have seen that. He'd have been a part of it. When Jesus walked on water towards them in the boat, he was in the boat... He was one of the ones who was terrified. Is that a ghost? No, it's Jesus. And he'd have watched Peter get out of the boat and walk on the water himself. He'd have seen that. He'd have been part of that. He'd have heard all um, the teachings of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, and all the other teachings, the parables, stories so of the kingdom. John would have been there and heard of them with his own ears. He was very much part of that. He'd have seen Jesus raise people from the dead. When he, was, um, he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead went into the house. There were people mourning because the, the young girl had died. And he took Peter, James and John up to the room. They're the only ones there. He put everyone else out, didn't they? And he said, little girl, wake up. John would have seen that. He'd have seen those miracles. When it came towards the end of his life and Jesus was um, preparing for the Passover, the Last Supper, it was Peter and John who were sent to set up the room. So when it came to that setting up of that final supper where Jesus broke the bread and, and gave out the wine to his disciples. Peter and John were the ones who, were, who set that up. When he announces at the Last Supper that one of you will betray me, one of the twelve who was there with him, it's John who's the one who goes and asks Jesus, well, who is it? It's not Peter who actually is kind of the leader, the foremost. He's always the one named first in the list of the apostles. He's the kind of the mouthpiece, the leader of the group, the leader of the early church. It actually says Peter got John to go and do it. The leader got the youngest one. That one of us is going to betray him? You go ask him. So I think it shows, one, it shows him kind of a, John as a young guy kind of being put out there to do it. But I think it also shows a level of relationship between John and Christ, that he would actually be the one to say, Lord, who is it? Who's the one who is going to betray you? John loved his Lord, um, and he, he went to ask him. When it came to um, the Garden of Gethsemane, John was there. John witnessed Christ praying in the Garden before his arrest, before his betrayal. He even said when they went into the Garden to pray, and he said he took Peter and James and John, they kind of went a bit further away. He was there. He was also the one who fell asleep um, at that point. They all did. While Jesus was praying, praying to his Father, yet yeah, not my will, but yours be done. When Jesus was arrested, when Jesus ca- Judas came with the crowd, and they arrested Christ, and they took him away. It says the disciples fled, but two of them actually followed the party. We know about Peter, because he's the famous one for um, denying Jesus, but John was there as well. John was there. He was the one who went in. He said actually John was known by some of the people there, which allowed them to get in. When it came to Jesus' actual death on the cross, John was the only disciple present. He was actually present at the cross with the women. Jesus actually spoke to John from the cross. He spoke to John. If you remember what he said, when you actually look at what it says, he actually basically says to paraphrase, look after my mum. Because Mary was there. And he says, Behold your mum, behold your son. So Jesus dying on the cross gave over kind of care of his elderly mother to who? To John. John. And John was the only one there who was witnessing it. That shows a level of relationship actually. Because if you're going to entrust your elderly mother to someone, you want to pick someone who knows he's going to care for them and love them. And they love you and they love her. And so Jesus gave that over. with that in John 19. When it came to Jesus' resurrection on the third day, John was the first disciple to see the empty tomb. So He outran Peter. Peter's probably getting a bit old. John, the younger one, beat him there. Peter went in the tomb first, actually in, but John was the first one there. John was the first one to see him, to see the kind of the empty tomb. Uh, there's no body here. When um, Jesus um, started appearing to his disciples, he gave them the commission, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. John would have heard that. He'd have been one of the guys there hearing that from the very lips of Christ. He would have watched uh, the risen Christ ascend into heaven. So they watched him until he... Kind of, He was lost from view. He would have been one of the guys who did that. He became a leader in the early church, a pillar in the early church. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote three letters uh, that bear his name. He also wrote a revelation that we find right at the back of our Bible. John lived a long life, early church history tells us, being a faithful witness. He actually would outlived all the other disciples. As far as we can tell, all the other disciples were martyred for their faith. John Outlid them all. They tried, early church history says they tried to kill him. They tried to boil him alive, thinking oil. It didn't work. But I imagine he bore the scars of that horrific experience. So they, he was sent in exile to um, the island of Patmos, which as far as I can tell is just a big rock in the sea. It's not even very big, it's just a deserted rock. And they sent him on exile there. It's just off the coast of Turkey, one day Turkey. As a very old man, he, he was there but he still remained faithful to his Lord that he'd followed um, all his life. And it was there that he had um, the revelation that we get um, at the end of um, our Bibles. So what we learn from John about this? Well, the first thing I think we can learn from John is he had a personal encounter with Jesus. John had a personal encounter with Jesus. He was called by name. Come, follow me. He was called to be part of this inner group, the 12 disciples and the inner inner circle of Peter, James and John. He he was someone who followed Jesus, had a personal encounter with Jesus. The second thing, John personally witnessed the miracles of Jesus, the healings of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the things that we read about in our Bible and think, wow, what was it like to be there? John would have said, I can tell you what it was like to be there. I watched it. I, I saw it happen with my own eyes. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a miracle of some sort. You can't say, I was there. I actually saw this thing play out in front of me. John would have been one of those guys who said, I can do that. And lastly, John knew he was a man loved by God. Loved by God. John, John in his gospel, we'll see this as we go through, that he doesn't actually directly reference himself i know, too humble for that. But he calls himself, he references himself with this kind of phrase, the disciple Jesus loved. Disciple Jesus loved. So when you're reading your Gospel of John, you'll say things like so and so and the disciple Jesus loved. That's John. He knew he was loved by God. He knew he was deeply loved by the Lord. Uh, to give himself uh, that title. It says um, in the Last Supper that actually John was the one reclining really close to Jesus. He was the one who had affection and the Lord loved him and he knew he was loved by God. And for us today, those three things, I want us to grasp them for ourselves because actually they're all true of you if you're a Christian. If you're a believer of Jesus, in Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus and you put your faith and trust in you, you can say those things about yourself. First one, you've had a personal encounter with Jesus and be called by name. Ephesians says that God chose you in him, Christ in him, before the foundation of the world. God chose you in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. We looked at this when we went through the book of Ephesians. That means if you're a Christian, you've had a personal encounter with Jesus. He has called you by name. That's often the phrase we read in the New Testament about becoming Christians, that calling of God. I've called you by name to be mine. You are mine. And you can say that with confidence and conviction. And that's not based on your merit, our merit. I'm that call. Jesus needed me on his team. You can't take that attitude. Because of my kind of gifts and skills, God needed me on his side because I play a good role. No, God chose you purely because he loved you and he wanted you. And you've had an impersonal encounter with Him that bears that out. The story of your salvation is that, is that, is is the proof of that. And everyone's story is different. It's fascinating. The more people I meet who are Christians, and I say, "How did you become a Christian? How did you get saved? You know, when were you born again?" All these kind of they're all sort of shorthand for the same thing. Tell me your story of when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They are staggering how different they are but actually how wonderful and the commonality of this faith and trust in Jesus, that he called you out. And the backgrounds are all different and the names are all different, but there's actually this story of God calling individuals by name. Sometimes you hear stories, I've got a friend who um, became a Christian, she was five and has never gone away from the Lord since then. And she tells a story as a a little girl, God called my name in kind of kids' church where they were a part of, and I've followed him all the days of my life. I've got other friends who have been in backgrounds with no church you know, no church input, not gone to church, parents didn't go to church, totally far removed. Yet through that, God just broke in, changed their lives and they followed and trusted him all the days of their lives. So if you're a believer here, this is true for you, you've been called by name to follow him. If you are a Christian here, you've also seen the works of Jesus. You've also seen those things that John talks about you will have seen them. The most important one is your own salvation story. That's the greatest miracle of all. You can't sit there and say, I've never seen a miracle. You are one. But the fact that you were a rebellious sinner, an enemy of God, dead in your sins, the Bible says, dead in your sins, the fact that God raised you to life, caused you to be born again, closed you with his righteousness, gave you a calling and a purpose, brought you into part of the church, declared you not guilty, adopted you into his family, is the greatest miracle of all, your salvation. So you are a living, breathing testimony to God's power in in people's lives. So you can say, I've witnessed the miracle. And if you think that's the only one, (laughs) that's a good start. But the more, hopefully, you get around church, the more you start getting into what God has called you to do, you will see miracle after miracle. You will see, it. I've seen stories, I've, I know stories of people who've been healed miraculously, you know, defied doctors. Um, I know many of you have had the same sort of experience of things like people who shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be well, but they are well. Even people who shouldn't be alive, but they are alive. I always remember the, like, talking to a girl who, who shouldn't be born because she's got a death certificate because she died in the womb as a baby. And then she was born, and she was what? When I met her, she was about 27 or something. And I'm thinking, why are you here? God raised her to life. Um, and, and miracles are miracles provision. I've had them in my life over and over again. And God provided He's asked prayers, he sorted things out. And so, like John, I might not have stories we have in the New Testament, but I can say I've seen God's power at work in my life and the lives of those around me. I can say those things. And lastly, you are loved by God. You are loved by God. Don't ever let that truth grow dim in your kind of your eyes. Don't ever let a lie come in to, uh, to, to take that away, cause that to fade, cause that to erode. You are loved by God, and if you ever need proof, there's only one place to go, and that's the foot of the cross, because on the cross we see the greatest example of God's love for sinners, that He was willing to die more place for your sins you might know him and have eternal life. And actually, God loves you and God is for you. And he demonstrates it on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. He'll keep demonstrating your life until you see him in glory and then he'll spend the rest of eternity demonstrating it to you. But right here, right now, you can know you are absolutely loved and adored by God. Absolutely, totally. Just like John could say, you know, I'm the disciple Jesus loved without any kind of sense of arrogance and pride. It was just a statement of fact. You too can hang that over your life. Who are you? <laughs> I'm the disciple Jesus loved. My, my brother has this thing he likes to rib me with every so often. He likes to, he likes to tell me, oh, I'm God's favourite. God told me this morning, I oh, was his favourite. Um, <laughs> he's trying to rib me with it. But actually, there's an essence of actually we can within reason say that about ourselves. Who's God's favourite? I am. Because he loves me. He loves me with that passion. And that obviously is for all believers. We don't create a hierarchy, but there's that sense of, actually, God loves you. God's heart is for you. You are his children. You are his child. And he just, he adores you. If you're not a believer here today, I want to offer you the opportunity to come and be part of this family. Come and be part of it. This is, God has great plans and purposes for you. He wants to deal with the sin in your life, the things that separate you from him. He loves you and he wants a relationship with you. If you want to talk more about that with me, please come and grab me at the end. I'd love to chat with you about that. Let's move on to um, the Gospel itself. It was written towards the end of the first century where John was an older man. Um, All the other apostles would have probably been dead by this point. Um, He would have known he was the last surviving of the twelve Um, by this point. He was based for a lot of his life in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey, and from there he would have written uh, this Gospel. He would have written it primarily for Gentiles, that's not Jews, so pretty much us, Um, which is why when you read through the Gospel, it explains certain Jewish things. There's a comment in um, chapter 2 where it talks about these jars for ceremonial washing. The extra detail is to help the non-Jewish readers understand what's going on, which for people like us can be very helpful. A few distinctives of the Gospels compared to the others. If you've ever read all four of the Gospels, John stands out as different. Matthew, Mark and Luke are known collectively as the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic just means seen together. That's what the word means because if you actually lay them side by side, they have a lot of overlap and similarity. Their style is quite similar. A lot of the stories that they is similar uh, between them um, and overtapping materials. They have lots of um, the parables, talk about the kingdom, lots of the events that happen in them are quite similar. John is different from that. Uh, John's gospel also covers um, a different period of ministry. Um, John's gospel focuses it mostly in and around Jerusalem, while the other three, three gospels tend to focus um, on the area of Galilee. If you imagine northern Israel, kind of almost like an oblong. You've got, in the north, you've got Galilee, Nazareth, Cana, places like that that you hear um, talked about in the Gospels. In the middle, you've kind of got Samaria, which will deal with Samaritans as we go through, and how the Jews didn't like the, they didn't like each other. And then to the south, you have Judea, where you have Jerusalem and Bethany, places like that. John's gospel tends to focus on the southern area of Israel, and Jesus' ministry, while the other three gospels tend to focus um, on the north. Um, another difference with John's gospel is that he often has lengthy discourses or, or um, kind of Jesus talking about something, and teaching. The other gospels tend to have short parables. Even the famous parables aren't very, aren't very long. Good Samaritan, Prodigal Son, known parables but they're actually not long if you read them. John often has discourses at my last, a whole chapter, um, particularly towards the end of the book, chapters kind of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And there's some lots of long discourses, plus that whole section just deals with the end of his life, really, the last few days of his life. So that's um, a particular distinctive of um, the Gospels. There's a different teaching emphasis in John. The other three Gospels tend to focus on the Kingdom. The Kingdom of God is at hand. The Kingdom of God is here. You know, repent and believe the good news. It's very much about the kingdom in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. That's what Jesus is teaching. It almost would be his catchphrase. If you read uh, the first three gospels, you have that catchphrase. The kingdom of God is here. John tends to focus on the person of Christ himself. You get the seven great I am statements in John, where Jesus says, I am, fill in the blanks. And he says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the vine. They come in John. So John's teaching tends to focus on the person of Christ himself. You'll find different material in John. There's quite a lot in John that you won't find anywhere else, particularly some really famous stories that are not recounted in other Gospels. You'll find um, the water into wine story. You must have been at a wedding where someone's preached on that. Um, at Cana and Galilee, that's only in John's Gospel. Um, the woman at the well. Uh, where, you know, Jesus says, bring your husband. He says, I haven't got a husband. He says, no, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with. That kind of story, that's only in John's Gospels. The, the famous one of the woman caught in adultery, he who without sin can cast the first stone, that's only in John's Gospel. Lazarus being raised from the dead, only in John's Gospel. The whole poor Thomas, doubting Thomas that we get, you know, we have that sort of doubting Thomas, the disciple, that only happens in John's gospel, and also the, the I am statements, plus a bunch of other things. So there's a lot of unique material to, to what John um, puts in his gospel. Um, a brief structure of the gospel, it begins, it's kind of got a prologue, and epilogue, and then the middle bit you can broadly kind of cut in half, although if you read too many commentaries, they all disagree and have different ways of dividing up the gospel. So I'll throw one out at you. You read a commentary and they do a different one. Scholars are always debating about this, so, you know, I'm not going to go to the the wall for this one. But it has a prologue, the first 18 verses, which I'll look at next week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was with God in the beginning. That's the prologue at the beginning. Then you have the sort of the two... They they often refer to them as the Book of Signs, or the Book of Words and Deeds, which is sort of the first half of the Gospel up to about the end of Chapter 12-ish. The Book of Signs isn't a helpful title because His death on the cross was a sign. So... But that's what they call the first half of the Gospel. second half of the Gospel, from Chapter 13 to the end of Chapter 20, is often called the Book book of the Passion or the Book of Glory, where basically it's all about Jesus heading to the cross. Because at the beginning of John 13, you get the washing of the disciples' feet. At the Last Supper, then you get the the kind of the discourse, and then you get Jesus' prayer in John 17, and then you have the cross um, and resurrection. And then you have an epilogue, which is Chapter 21 which kind of just fills out the story of Jesus' kind of resurrection appearances to disciples. So that's a broad sort of outline um, of the Gospel, of where we're going. Now, as to the purpose of the Gospel, why did Jesus write the, uh, why did John write this Gospel? If you've got a Bible, I did tell you to open it in uh, John 20, didn't I? Quite a while ago. Um, can you go to John chapter 20, verse 30? And I will read this. It says, um, verse 30, John chapter 20, verse 20, it says, Now Jesus, it's interesting to put the purpose of your book towards the back, but this is what John has decided to do. Now <laughs> Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. We don't know, quite know what that means, but he obviously did many other signs in their presence, which are not written in this book. So John is selective in his material. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and by believing you may have life in his name. Read that again. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. John has written this gospel as an evangelistic document. He wants people to read what he's put what he's written, and he's been selective in his material, because he's got a purpose, and so he's organised his material around that purpose. There are lots of things that happened he hasn't put in there. You can read the other Gospels to see it, and John admits it up front here, saying, actually, there are lots of other signs that Jesus did, but I'm, I'm not going to sort of, put, put them down to you. Um, these, but these ones are written. The reason I've written these down is that you believe Jesus is what? He is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one of Israel, the anointed one, the one who would come and establish this kingdom. That's the reason I put this down so that you would know who this man was. He is the son of God. He is God himself who came to earth, lived as a man. Perfect man. Completely human, completely God at the same time and he lived that life. He died on the cross which John would have written about. He rose from death he made the way open that we could have a relationship with him by putting our faith and trust in him. And he says at the end there, that by believing, you may have life in his name. And that life would be referring to him it would be an earthly life because Jesus didn't said in uh, John 10, 10 about I've come that you may have life and have it to the full in abundance. But also that would point to eternal life beyond the grave. So you would believe and have life in his name. That's what John is about. And that kind of... Um, that... Uh, that um, sort of statement there by John effectively answers the question that we've put over this gospel, this series: Who is this man? Because that's the question that John wants you answering as you read the gospel. You, who is this? Who is this guy? Jesus, and John will be giving hints and hints all the way through. And as it comes to the end here, he, he basically makes it completely clear: This is what I want you to read the gospel. This is what I want you to get out of it. If you get to the end and you don't get to, you don't get this bit, I kind of you've missed something. You haven't got. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God and that's what I want you to believe. I want you to know and, and, and come and have faith in him. And this will have application if you're not a believer here. This has got application for you because actually hopefully as we teach you this you'll understand that Jesus is the Christ and you'll come and put your faith and trust in him. But actually for us as believers we need to be relearning this truth constantly as we go through. It's not something that you kind of tick off a list put on the shelf and think done that. You need to keep going back, keep relearning. This truth needs to come and transform us. What it means to grow as a disciple, to grow as a follower of Jesus, that actually people should get this truth. We should get this truth and become more and more like him as we go through. Let's end with a final little bit um, of application here for us today. Okay, what I want us to do out of this is I want us to get to know this man, Jesus. I want us to get to know this man Jesus. Who is this man? I want us to learn through. I want through this year as we study the book of John, I want you to be able to say by the end of the year, three months in, six months in, 12 months in, I have got to know Jesus in a deeper, fuller, richer way. My knowledge of him has increased. My experience of him has increased. My affections for him have increased as we've studied this gospel how are we going to do this. And what I want to talk about today is prayerfully reading and studying John's Gospel. That's, what I want to start. That's how we're going to do it. We're going to prayerfully read and study John's Gospel. I'd love you to make the commitment now for this year, 2014, to say I am going to set my mind, I'm going to set my heart towards learning more and more about John's Gospel. I'm going to finish this year having studied it at a deeper level than I may have studied it before or I'm going to remind myself of things I may have learnt in the past but kind of time can dim the senses, dim the memories and I want us to study it, to read it, to memorise it, to learn its structure, its distinctive elements, learn its stories, learn why the author wrote it and how that works in our lives. So here's some suggestions to get you started with. First one, if you've never read John's Gospel, and you're sitting there thinking, I know there's a Gospel called John, but in my kind of Bible reading, I've read this bit and I've read that bit, I want you to read John's Gospel. If you read one uh, one chapter a day, I think I worked out you'd finish by the end of January. If you started today and said, I'm going to read one chapter of John's Gospel a day, and you went home and read chapter one today, by the end of January, hopefully my maths is correct on that, you will have finished it. Or you might have to go two days into February or something. But you'll have basically nailed it. If you read three chapters a day, because you're hardcore,
1: you'd nail it in a week.
0: It's only got 21 chapters. So you could literally read the whole Gospel in a week if you wanted to. And so if you've never read it, just read through it. Just say, I'm just going to read through the Gospel of John. I'm going to read through it. um, Straightforward. Straightforward. Once you've done that, do it again. Do it at least twice so you've actually kind of, you read it and you've read it again and you've got into it. If you've done that and you think, done that, I want to just set you some other tasks for John's Gospel. Um, next one, um, if you've done that, try reading it slowly. Take a chapter at a time and read it through out loud if you can, which means you need to be somewhere where I, A, people don't mind or they can't hear, you know, whatever, you know. Whatever, whatever works for you. But read it slowly. It's amazing. I'm actually doing this now. I'm about halfway through the Gospel. Doing the kind of slow reading. It's amazing what you learn when you actually read it slowly. And what you pick up that you've missed when you kind of read it faster. So I think it's good to get a good overview. But read it slowly. Read it out loud if you can. Try and kind of get into what's being said. Try and put some um, emotion into it. When someone's shouting, shout a bit. You know, kind of when when you think Jesus is getting a bit stroppy with someone, which I'm sure he is at certain points. Put a bit of emotion into it. So read it through slowly. That will take you three weeks just to kind of, if you're going to do it, you know, once a day, do that. If you think you've done that, here's another thing for you, or you want to try this first. Take a small section of the Gospel. You can take like half a chapter or a section. Often in Bibles they're kind of broken up for you, which is an artificial break, but it can be helpful if you want to study it. Read the section and ask yourself the question... Who is this man? What can I learn about him? Who is this man? What can I learn about him? Just read the bit, the, the bit you've got and actually, what does this teach me about Jesus? What does it tell me about him? What aspect of his character does it show me? And actually stop and look and think about it. And if you take short sections, you don't take large ones for that because you're focusing in. Ask yourself, who is this? Who is this man? What can I learn from him? And then here's the, here's the key one for that. Write it down. Because suddenly, when you have to put pen to paper, it focuses the mind on what you're doing, but it also makes you more likely to remember it. I don't know how that works, but it's true. If you write stuff down, I've got a journal, I try and write in kind of um, on a regular basis, but write it down. And once you've written it down, you know, who is this man? Then actually ask yourself the question, well, what's, what difference does that make to me? What does that mean in my life? That means you're taking the word of God and you're applying it to your life. This is what discipleship is about. Doing what Jesus has told us and, and learning and growing from that. So that's what I want. So there were three things there. Read the whole Gospel of John if you've never done it. Just set yourself time and say, I'm just going to read it through. Chapter a day, a few chapters a day, whatever works in your lifetime. It might work in the morning, it might work in the evening, over lunchtime. I don't know what works best for you. If you've done that, read a chapter a day slowly. Chapter a day slowly, just so you're actually getting into the story. And hopefully it will provoke lots of questions. I don't understand that. Why did Jesus say that? Why did that happen? But we'll be teaching through it, so hopefully we'll cover that. And then the last one, if you've done that, try reading a short section and asking yourself the question, who is this man? What does this, what does this teach me about the person of Jesus, the work of Jesus. And ask yourself the question, what does that mean to my life? How does that affect my life? So pick one of them, do it, and then I'd ask you to be brave and share with someone. Share in your life group. Say, John, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've learned. This is what I read today. I read this section. And this is what kind of was provoked in my mind. This is what I thought about it. So we as a church, we're going to be teaching through the Gospel of John But I ask us as individuals to be taking time to learn in the best way that suits us in our own kind of um, way that we're learning about the Gospel of John ourselves. So we're taking some time to dig deep into it. So hopefully by the end of the year we'll have spent a lot of time in John and we'll have learnt lots and grown lots as a result. Does that make sense? Amen? All right. let me pray and then I'll hand over to Dave um, who's going to lead us in worship. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for John. Lord, I want to thank you for a young man who followed you, who witnessed so much. Lord God, I want to thank you that you used him to write down what he'd seen and what he'd heard. And you empowered you, you him by the spirit to watch the of what's in the Bible that we have today. Uh, your word, Lord. Lord, I want to thank you for how you used him, Lord Jesus. I want to thank you for uh, the gospel, Lord. And as we we learn it and we study it and we look together as a church, as life groups, as individuals. God, I pray you use your word to transform us, Lord God. I ask you use it to teach us, to grow us, Lord God, that we would be changed through this. We would be, I guess, like John, grow as disciples. The John at the beginning of the gospel must be different to John at the end of the gospel because he'd seen so much. And Lord, I, I pray that us as a church, a real life church at the beginning of the gospel, by the time we've... Through it all, Lord, we will be changed as a church. We will be changed as individuals. That we would have become more like You. We would have fallen more in love with You. We would have had our eyes open to more of You. Truths would have gone deeper. That have been fuller in their expression. We would have seen Your hand at work in our life, in the life of others, in the life of this church, Lord God. And I, I God, I ask You just fill our vision with You, Lord Jesus, that You would come fuller and greater in our eyes, Lord Jesus. We love You. Uh, we praise You.